If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Boundary Corner Podcast. Do it. Okay? Do it. Pulling the trigger, man. Pulling the trigger. How you doing tonight? What's going on, guys? Guys, this week we're welcoming from 247, Matei says. Matei, how are you doing this evening, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be back on with you guys. It's been a minute, but ready to chop it up. Oh, yeah. It's been it's been a few months. Last time you were with us, the Hokies had no commits. You saying there were one on the way? It took about three weeks later. But uh, we've got so much to go over tonight. We've got a ton of questions from Matei. But we're going to start with just some hokey headlines this week. And let's talk about this. Matei, Brian, both of you guys, let's talk about this. Colbeck is returning back to the football team. Anybody shocked by this? I mean, personally, yes, <laughs> considering he's been on the track team pretty much his entire career. Yeah. I know that, you know, upon his commitment coming from around the corner, a lot of people were very excited. He's, you know, 6'1", 185, speedster. I mean, absolute burner. And everyone was saying, doesn't matter if he can catch, doesn't matter, you know, what type of alignment in the backfield, put him on special teams, put him on punt return, kick return, let him go to work. And, uh, you know, it seems like, Maybe that's a start for him, see how it works. Um, if you have the room, might as well add someone, another weapon to your roster that could potentially you know, help out the Hokies on, on special teams. But it, it definitely is strange after how long the absence has been since he was kind of contemplating, okay, am I going to do football and track or am I doing one or the other? Um, so it, it's definitely a shocker. Didn't expect to hear his name back on the team, but – uh, definitely the coaching staff see something that they can utilize him. Yeah. And it looks like, I mean, you know, he's, he's accomplished a lot on, on, in track since he's been with the Hokies, um, you know, 10, 10, one, one, uh, hundred meter. It's nothing to, Ooh. nothing to sneeze at. Hold um, on. Brian, we, me and Brian talked about it. You know what 10, one, one translates to to 40. Y'all know four, three, seven, four, two. Oh my. It's four two ish. 
Is that a, is that accounting for the fact that a hundred meters you're more fatigued than than running the forty? It's, it's true. It, 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 <laughs> so it. technically, it could be faster than a four two. <laughs> when I saw that when we were talking about it earlier, I had a, found a site and I put it in, and it was like four two. I'm like, I, I would I would say you know forty maybe he's a four. He's definitely a four three guy. I don't even blink at that. Yeah, but go yeah. ahead, Brian. My apologies. I had to put. Oh no, in. you're good. No, you're good. Um. Yeah, just getting Cole Beck back, I think that, you know, Matei said it, definitely kick returns. Um, you know, you yes. got a guy with that type of speed, you know, has has a history with as, as a running back, so you know that he's got decent, um, you know, vision in the open field. So um, I think that's going to be where you're going to see him at the gate. Uh, whether, whether he gets back there to punt, I think it's going to depend on how well his hands are because you don't want muff punts. That's essentially giving the other team an extra possession. Um but I could definitely see him on kick return and maybe doing some stuff with uh, with out of the backfield or from the wing on offense, uh, you know, either getting the ball to him in space, passing it or, uh, you know, handoffs out of the backfield. So get you can never really argue with getting more speed on your team. Absolutely. Absolutely not. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with the speed. But if for anything else, you mentioned it on kick returns. If you can remember, guys, last year, Malachi Thomas and Chance Black were doing some kick return duty. If nothing else, it helps your depth overall, because you, if he's back there, it's like he's your primary guy. You don't have to worry about throwing a Dwayne Lofton or somebody from the wide receiver court or a running back or a defensive back. So you're saving them those snaps. And I know it's it's only, you know, most times four to six times a game. But that's where the weird injuries happen. That's where the little nicks happen, where a guy gets nicked and he can't play the series of vast importance on the field. So if for nothing else, like you said, put him back there on kick return, at least make teams respect that you have somebody that fast. And if he can punt the ball, you know, give him a chance. Now, I wouldn't say it in a tight game like no, but, you know, hopefully some of these early games, primarily ODU and Wofford, the Hokies can go run up a big lead early, and it's like, here's your opportunity. Go out there. We're up 35 to 10. It's middle of the fourth quarter. The game's put away. Yep. Do that because you cannot teach speed. And he's got that. And he's got that at he's got that at levels where he could potentially make the Olympic team because running that low, that 10-1. That will get you on a that could get you on a relay team if you just trim that down to like a 10.8 or something, 10.08 or something like that. Yeah, uh, I think you know, when we talk about uh that as well, do we think that this is gonna cut into snaps from some of the other guys in that backfield, particularly Chance Black? Um, that's the question. Are they gonna is, is if if they're getting back involved in the offense, is this gonna be something that's designed specifically for him? or very limited play set, or is this going to be something where some of the opportunities Chance may have had uh, out of the backfield are going to get thrown Cole Beck's direction? Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely something where maybe they envision a, a limited role for him. And you have to imagine, too, like you're saying, if, if he's a guy that could potentially, you know, be in the Olympics or, you know, even be in qualifiers or whatnot, you know, he's not going to take this risk uh, for, you know, pretty much no opportunity. I think there's a clear vision in mind for him. I think, you know, everyone has a fresh start with new coaching staff. Absolutely. Um, but I think they pulled him in a little late uh, or he came to them, approached them, uh, essentially saying, you know what, I think I can, I could be of service. 
I don't think he'll be, you know, a top four back in the rotation by any means. I think Chance Black has really risen up uh, with this new coaching staff. And I think Cole Beck will definitely have a defined role. Uh, they won't throw too much at him. I've, I've heard he's been, you know, he's been working extra in the weight room to kind of keep up with some of the other guys. Um, but I, I don't envision this being, okay, you're going to be on kick returns or pushing other guys for that opportunity to be, you know, a kick returner um, and then mix in, you know, we're going to put you on the offense. We're going to put you at wide receiver. I think that'd be way too much for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the only way you put him at wide receiver is just go run vertical. And even if they don't go with you, that's fine. Maybe we take a shot. The the one last piece I'll say is this. He has two years of eligibility left thanks to COVID. So, and again, if he approached them or or they approached him, whichever way it worked, clearly, like you said, Matei, new coaching staffs, different things happen. So let's hope it's all for the best for the Hokies. All right, something that is not that's the best for the Hokies. We've been talking about the guy since he committed – months ago for Darius Payne the, the reports out that he has torn his Achilles um Matei have you heard even more people about this or is the word on the street it is what it is it, it is what it is at this point um can't confirm whether it's you know fully torn partially torn um you know it, it seems to be the word is well you know he's likely out for the season but it's not definitive um, I personally think he's, he's done for this year. Uh, don't hold your breath to see him, you know, late in the season. Again, we're talking about a, a guy that's coming into a new situation, new coaching staff, you know, over the course of the season, guys are going to develop, guys are going to be in the rotation, be counted on. And, you know, it's extremely tough. Not only does he have to return from Achilles to a point where he can practice, but then to get up to game speed later in the season, uh, you know, that's really tough. So, uh, obviously a huge blow. You don't pick up a guy like this just to have him ride the pine. He was a guy that was going to come in and make a big impact. Um, you know, I think he wanted a bigger opportunity. The coaching staff was willing to give him that. And it's just, you know, one of those unfortunate things that I feel like happens every off season. There's always one guy that bites the dust and it, it's just really, uh, it, it's upsetting to, to know a guy with a lot of potential, could have made a big sizable impact for the team. And, you know, instead he's going to be sidelined. Yeah. And I think that that's the big thing is that, you know, there was potential there. It's at a position where we're already very thin uh, heading into the season, uh, really across the defensive line, but particularly defensive end. I think we got some, some young guys that could potentially make some noise, but we don't have a whole lot in terms of uh, proven uh, talent there, especially getting into the three deep that we probably are going to need. Um, this season so losing a guy like him definitely hurts on the top end and hurts from a depth depth perspective so it's a tough loss and you know we'll we'll see how how we can uh, we can manage that going into the season yeah I mean where it puts probably the most stress on it's going to be guys from like the 21 class like the stretch Carroll who have been developing and getting their into their collegiate bodies they're going to have to probably develop faster they're probably going to get more reps this year than than probably brent pry and jc price want to give them and coach marvel want to give them and that's where it stinks it's probably a guy you know you talk about carrie mooston from last year or burgos is it one of those things where if they show out on special teams in some way shape or form where it's like they're a good contributor here 
we're going to have to use them on the line. And that's where it stinks long-term because there could be a guy who at their fourth year development's a lot better than their third, but they were pushed that extra year and you, you lose that year of eligibility because they are valuable to you on special teams and they can learn the role. So um, that's where it stinks because I know Brian, we mentioned him, you know, definitely was going to be an off the edge guy, you know, no, could not say if he was going to be able to play a consistent four, three end, um, especially on rundowns, but we knew third down, third and five or more, he's going to be probably out there. Could there be some packages where he played the three technique, you know, attacking and go smaller? That's where it sucks. And and it's kind of wiped away. So, you know, Beck's back, good for special teams, maybe good for an offensive gadget here or there, but then somewhere where it really hurts with pain going down, you know, it, it's like where we didn't need it, where we didn't need somebody to go down. All right, guys. First of all, um, Mateo, you're up in Northern Virginia, right? Yeah, currently in uh, D.C. Okay. But, uh, last time we spoke, Northern Virginia. Okay. Did you get to go to the tailgate event with Coach Pry up there? I did not, unfortunately. I was out of town. Okay. Well, first of all, next year when it happens, which I think they're going to continue those based on our event, go. Go. The guy's amazing. And it even showed more out on ACC Media Days. If you guys haven't went back and watched, this was after our episode last week, um, his time with the ACC Network and his time on the podium. Again, things that we saw in person in Richmond here just showed out. But i tell you something that really stuck out to me is he is – it seems like he's just going to be one of those coaches that's going to be honest because there's no need to hide anything, right? We're in, a, we're in a day and age where everything is getting found out somewhere or the other. You really can't hide anything anymore. And when he was talking talking to Mark Packer, Eddie Royal, I think the host Kelsey Riggs, he talked about one thing he was really doing with this team was evaluating the weaknesses and trying to make the guys embrace it and trying to figure out how to improve. And when I hear a coach say that, it it, it tells me he he understands that what's good is good, but if you can't improve on your weaknesses – you're not going to be around the coaching game long. Yeah, I think that was my big takeaway too. When when he's looking at it, he's looking at it from a perspective of what's good is going to be good. We can we can polish that, we can get that better, but unless we embrace our flaws and try to build those up or or hide those as best we can with within our preparation and, and all that stuff, then you know, a lot of that's not going to matter. Uh he understands the weaknesses of the roster of, of where it is now. Um, and, and he's been, you know, he, he stated it multiple times, you know, we, we got some good players, but we need a lot more of them. We don't have, we don't have enough good players at enough positions right now. Um, that's very evident. I think on the defensive line, we just talked about, I think that's evident on the offensive line from a depth perspective. Um, I think that's evident on, at the wide receiver position from an experience perspective. Uh, we've got, you know, really one guy in that wide receiver room that has significant experience uh, and he's a former walk-on and we got a, a, a bunch of young guys behind him. Well, two, you two. Know, don't, don't discount Jane Blue's uh, playing time at Temple. True, very true. But he's still, he's still new to 
power so five football. He's due to the Hokies. Yep. Um, and then, like I said, the, the offensive line, obviously that's a depth concern. We've got, you know, I think five guys we feel good to okay about. We got maybe one that we feel could do in a pinch. And then we've got a bunch of big question marks after that. <laughs> so, um, we've got to embrace that. We got to understand where those limitations are. And then we got to try to mitigate that as best as possible. Yeah. And I think too, you know, Brent pride, just being open and honest about everything. He has a bit of a grace period, you know, he's coming in for a reason that, you know, you, you come in, you kind of show your character, show your personality. And, um, you know, I'm really appreciative that, you know, after, covering Justin Fuente and I'm not going to kick him while he's down, but I think there is a method to protecting your guys. And sometimes that's necessary, but when you're a first year head coach and you need to win a fan base, you need to pull back the curtains and let everyone in. And I think he understands that he wants to build momentum with the program. He's showing in every press appearance. uh, And, you know, and, and part of doing that, um, you know, you're going to have to be honest about some of the situations. So uh, kudos to him for doing that. I think it's really refreshing. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't say a whole lot about, you know, what the on-field results will be. Uh, but knowing you have a guy like that, I think there's a lot of people in that locker room that say, you know what, like, that's a guy we want to fight for. Uh, and for much different methods than, you know, Fuente, but still nonetheless want to fight for him. Absolutely. And we, we talked about the openness and we talk about how he's been so free and talking about and you talk about it. We talked about evaluating weaknesses and being open, moving guys, not hesitant. And then coming straight out and saying, we've moved Keontae Jenkins. We moved J.R. Walker. Uh, we, we've slid this person over to Mike. We're trying this person back. We moved Jamari Connor to safety. It wasn't like it's hidden. Like people are going to eventually find out where these guys are playing anyway. At best, it's a one week. It's one week. It's one week where nobody knows what you're doing. Um, so, I mean, we don't have to wait till that like glimpse of an open practice before we figured out someone switch positions. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, the other parts that he's been talking about is, and he talked about evaluating those weaknesses. He talked about when he gets into camp, figuring out who they are, who we are as a team, where we're good enough, where we need to get better, and then he kind of talked about that. Probably he said within a within a, the first few weeks he'll know. And when you think that the first few weeks, it's well, that next week is when you're probably going to start your game planning. So, um, Brian, what do you think about that? Do you, do you think he's putting a lot of? Is is he? Do you think that? I mean, I feel like that's a long time to wait to say that, or is it one of those things where? These guys have been in summer. There might be somebody coming out of summer that just shocks us. And I can't say this is what we are before I see these guys again. So I look at it this way. There's levels to it, right? So especially when you're installing new offense, new defense, when you have like a spring session, you have a winter session, you have a spring, spring practice, you get to evaluate, but you're evaluating a very base level of the offense and defense. They have, they, they haven't gone through a full installation at this point. So you might have some kids that that jump up to the top real quick uh, with those base packages, but struggle a little bit picking up the, the finer concept as you get deeper into the playbook. Whereas others might might have been a little bit of a slower mover, but you know now that they've got the basics down, 
all this other stuff is coming pretty easy for them. And there's, and they're showing that when they get on the field. So you don't want to kind of lock in and just trust what you saw in the spring, because you know, there, there's been a period since then with installation, there's been summer workouts. There are other things that could accelerate the growth of some of these players. So you want to take a week or two, maybe up to three to, to, to evaluate those, especially once you get into kind of the full, the full padded practices and where, where you're getting a little bit of scrimmage in. Now, the other things that have been pretty cool to see, and and I think we felt like we saw this partially with Valentier early, but then it kind of went away, was he mentions Bud and Frank being in the building a few days a week. And the one thing he said that just it, – it didn't shock me, but I loved hearing it. It's like, Chris Marv, you need to go pick Bud's brain. I mean, that's awesome to hear, just straight up. Yeah, a thousand percent. I think, you know, it, it's funny how much Bud is still involved with the program. It's like he's pretty much, you know, he, he wants to be the defensive coordinator, even with uh, Justin Hamilton, you know, the amount that he mentored him. Uh, and now with Chris Marv, you know, picking each other's brains, uh, you know, it's only positives there. And it's a guy that, that, that loves it so much, loves Virginia Tech more than anything. And I think the one thing, Whenever you hire a coach, and I know a lot of people looked at Brent Pry and they say, okay, you know, he's a GA for, you know, a little bit. Um, how much does he get Virginia Tech? But I think he's showing, you know, as much as he wants to move forward and create this new culture and create this new legacy, you know, you have to honor the greats before you. And he's making them a priority. And, uh, you know, I think it can only help. And like you said, that's an awesome line. I, I didn't hear that, but – to, to hear that they're, you know, collaborating, the more help, the, you know, the better. Well, that type of stuff helps with buy-in, right? So you've got Marv, who was a first-time coordinator, um, you know, stepping into this role. Obviously, he's getting mentored under Pry, um, you know, Pry coming from that D.C. role uh, before he's at Virginia Tech. But picking a legend like Bud Foster's brain is only going to help the tools in your toolbox, especially as a new coordinator. So um, that's encouraging. And it's encouraging that he's encouraging his staff to embrace the legacy of Virginia tech. And I feel like, you know, that, that's a, that's a contrast from what we I think seen recently. So it, it's really good to, to feel like we're, we're really embracing that legacy, but also, you know, forging or forging a new path in a different way, in a in a way that is more modern to the yeah. ins and outs of how a program is put together. Uh, whether that's from support staff, analysts, you know, the the whole shebang off the field, um, but we're still leaning on the legacy that that helped create what um, Blacksburg is known for. One hundred percent, and also just to jump in quickly, I mean, you you don't want to pick Frank Beamer brain about like nil right but yeah. you know base defenses and certain schemes like they're gonna stay the same throughout time like it's a lot of people incorporate these things even today so you know kind of brushing up on that i'm sure marv has it figured out you know pry is definitely uh you know in his ear all the time about you know what he wants to run and 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 kind of fostering that defense but you know to have pry that has done it at a high level recently and also, Bud Foster has done it for decades. Uh, you know, that's for a first-year coordinator. I mean, those are 
the best mentors you could possibly get. So yeah, and by all accounts, Marv is a, is a sponge in terms of yeah. picking up concepts and being able to translate that on the field. So, um, you know, any, anything that he's uh, getting from 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 Bud and uh, and Frank uh, is obviously going to be a good thing. And yeah, I know we talked about Marv there, but I know Holt's been picking uh, Frank's brain as well uh, on the special team yeah. side of things. And uh, you know, we we know that that Stu Holt is. You know, very knowledgeable on, on the special teams <laughs> front, but uh, you know there, there's a reason it's called Beamer Ball. <laughs> a precedent was set a long time ago, and the things Frank did completely changed the special teams game to where you know it was specifically planned for when you played Virginia Tech, and those things that went through college football of how to make sure you don't get your punt blocked, how you set up kick returns and punt returns because of Frank. But what I really love about hearing this also is Brent Pratt isn't a control freak. Hey, Chris, go talk to Bud. Hey, Stu, go talk to Frank. Guys, pick these guys' brains because he's a head coach now. And if you're a control freak and you're not letting these guys step out and speak to people in the building that could potentially help, you're basically running yourself ragged as a first-time head coach. So I love hearing that. Now, I want to hit this real quick because, Matei, this is definitely your street right here. He talked about the portal. And we've been hearing more and more about the portal and, you know, he said it straight up. We need dates, set dates that make sense for our rosters. Do you think that's getting closer now that we have, there's essentially no, you know, now it's wide open. Free agency is official in the, in the NCAA because that rule, kids can transfer anytime. Do you think we're going to be close to having, here are your windows that you can get in the portal? I think so. I think everything's being expedited. I mean, from from conferences to portals NIL, I mean, you name it, you know, uh, even the college football playoffs, which doesn't seem all that long ago is, you know, it seems like light years away at this point, just with how much college football and the landscape has changed. So, um, you know, he was talking about it. I, I think it was in his initial press conference how uh, they're getting someone. Uh, to monitor the portal at all times as a full-time job. So definitely taking uh, the significance of it. And, you know, again, I, I mentioned it before, he's a clean slate. He's a fresh start. He's got a little bit of a grace period, but he's a guy that's going to want to build up this roster. And, you know, typically it's always been, okay, we're going to we're going to build it through the recruiting ranks, but you don't have to do that anymore. And I think he understands that it's an ever-changing landscape. You know, the two quarterbacks uh, for next year both came out of the portal, you know, to bolster that position. And, uh, you know, I think they'll continue to look at the portal even, you know, as as it leads up into to fall camp and, and see if they can add any more people. I think they're always going to monitor it and, uh, but definitely there's going to need to be some dates because I can totally envision a scenario where there's one guy that transfers somewhere all of a sudden, you know what, I lost this competition, but hey, I can transfer again. So, you know, they definitely need to uh, to to kind of, you know, fix it up a little bit, put some precedent in there and, and, and put some dates. So, you know, all the coaches have an equal chance to kind of navigate that. Do you think those dates are going to be sometime like, December through early January and then like late April through mid-May? I would imagine there would be like a dead period for it. And I think it would coincide with 
kind of the early signing day one uh, maybe ends, you know, right after the, the you know, f- previous official signing day. And then um, definitely as camp, you know, spring uh, gets rolling around, there's going to be guys. I mean, we we saw it with Virginia Tech this this past spring, you know, bunch of guys leave uh, for new opportunities. So um, I don't think it's going to change too much in terms of what we've come to expect, you know, when most of the guys are entering the transfer portal, I think just mandating, you know, a specific timeline, having a little bit of a dead period uh, would definitely help. Yeah. But you don't see things like today, what there was a four-star quarterback from Kentucky that went in the portal today, like literally a week from probably when their camp opens. Oh yeah. I'm getting out of here. Cause that's the things that can mess up because you're talking about the developmental part of the program. And I know Brent said it, he said it pretty good. They want kids to find the program that fits them. So you have to embrace the portal in that way. But then he said, but we have to be able to manage our roster. We can't be sitting here talking about, Hey, he's probably going to be our third string, our scout quarterback. Oh, he's out now. Okay. Well now we have to completely change what we're going to do for our scout team because you know, he was a big armed guy. We wanted him out there to be able to throw downfield to really help us. So I, I get it in all sense um, of the portal and why they want it that way. And let the kids go wherever they want. As long as they can academically do it, go. Find your best place to where you think you can, you know, play collegiate ball, potentially get your chance to go to the next level. 100% on all of that. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've talked about it a lot on here. I'm all for, like, player movement. I'm all for NIL to a point in terms of how how students can, can make money off their name, image, or likeness, you know, and, and things like that. So we, we've talked about those things here a lot, um, and, and I'm very supportive of that. But we just need to make sure that we're doing it in a framework that works for everybody. Um and I think that this this is kind of the I think the big thing that needs to happen on the transfer portal front, so that coaches and programs can better manage their roster, and know what to expect when they're heading into spring practice, and know what to expect when they're heading into summer workouts and fall camp. Hundred percent. All right. Sort of the last couple pieces here. Kind of going to blend them together. Brent talked about his team leaders. You know trusting him right out of the gate and that helped him move quickly, which is awesome. And I'm sure it's probably those three guys who were down in Charlotte, Dax, Silas, and Caleb definitely being probably the lead on that. But also when he talked to Eddie Royal and he looked at Eddie and he said, this program is more yours than mine. And he, and he, and, and you could kind of see a little emotion in both of their eyes and, it's something about him that he talks about, and we've seen it more and more. He has a passion for this place, and that goes a long, long ways. Um, and, you know, again, with that statement to Eddie, it's just like it's that thing that we keep seeing more and more that – and it's probably why we three sit here and people are, you know, watching the stream tonight. It's probably why we want him to succeed because the maroon and the orange – Running his blood. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like he knows what it's all about. I mean, the the, the whole he just gets it. I mean, I, I know it's said a lot, but. <laughs> I say it a lot. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the, and I think the fact that he's coming on the heels of someone that I don't think got it 
Yep. It, you know, the contrast I think is, is, is what's standing out as well. Um, you know, I, I think there are certain things that, that Justin Fuente did appreciate about Virginia tech, but I don't think he ever fully embraced the culture that was created at Virginia tech. And I think that's, that's where Pry is diving in feet first and, and, and really, you know, understanding and, and and showing that he appreciates and knows what makes Virginia tech special. And he's going to try his best to get the program back to where it was. So that feels special for those fans. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a difference between trying and being, you know, trying and being genuine because, you know, even with Fuente, we saw, okay, we're going to honor Frank Beamer's 25 every single week, give it out to someone. Um, you know, we're going to, um, you know, put lunch pail on everything. We're going to, you know, VT is home. But at the end of the day, it just, it, some of it didn't seem genuine. Some of it seemed a little forced to try to, you know, tie together, um, you know, Frank Beamer and his era. And it just seems with Brent Pry, like everything is so genuine, like everything he wants to be doing it. And, um, you know, he's, he's not just saying the things to say them. I think he believes it and he's really embracing the opportunity because he genuinely loves the place. It gave him one of his, you know, it gave him his start to a, to a long coaching career. And I think he's coming back as a first time head coach and saying, you know, I love this place and uh, I want to, you know, cherish all these important things and do my research and become the best, you know, possible fit for this program. Absolutely. All right. So, We've 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 had the appetizer. Now it's time for the main course. This is what he's here for. But before we get to that, y'all, Brent Pry pulled a boss move at the media day, and and was it planned? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he asked for two forty five for a certain reason. Probably two fifteen. <laughs> but <laughs> when when one of the support staff there and he pulls out his phone, the Hokies just got better. Got another commit, lays his phone down. Oh, my God. And that commitment was a guy right here in the RVA, highest-rated Virginia prospect so far, Cameron Fillining from Trinity Episcopal, another private school pickup where for years Virginia Tech has struggled two in one week after Christian Williams. You know, Fleming's a cornerback, six foot 185, a lot of, lot of interest from a lot of different schools. Tech in Minnesota uh, had some looks at from some SEC schools as well as some Big Ten schools. So, Brian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick to Matei first here. Matei, from what you've heard about Cam and maybe had a chance to speak with him, what do you think about this young man? Yeah, first, first and foremost, I want to start by just uh, sharing a little funny story. But we were expecting um, Cam to commit the same day. I was – covering the press conference and Evan Watkins, who's also on 24 seven uh, was going to cover the commitment um, that he was just going to announce on social media. Uh, it was around like 1230 uh, that we were expecting it and it kept getting pushed and pushed, but not, not in the way that it was like, okay, is something else going on here? Um, but then, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for two fifteen. Uh, for Brent Pry to go to the podium 
and Evan's texting me on the side and he's like, eh, I think it's going to be 215. I'm like, so you're telling me this is about to happen while Brent Pry's at the podium? Like something's going to happen. And it did. So when that moment happened, I was still genuinely surprised, you know, to, to, to see him react that way. I didn't know if he was just going to go through it, put on his, you know, professional poker face and, and, and just talk about Virginia Tech. But, you know, he sees the moment, the opportunity, and, you know, it made Cam very happy that that, you know, that's the reaction from your head coach. Um, but for him as a player, I mean, he's an absolute stud. And um, I'll just say that, you know, he was silently committed to Minnesota. And uh, a lot of people will be like, oh, Minnesota. But PJ Fleck, you know, when he when he gets you there and, uh, you know, you're on an official visit and he's showing his personality, you know, he's up there with Brent Pry in terms of enthusiasm, trying to create a family atmosphere. Um, but Fleming really, you know, had his pick of the litter. Uh, UNC was filling up. So um, between back and forth with them, uh, he found, okay, well, you know, all these great things I can find at Minnesota, at North Carolina, I can find them at Virginia Tech as well. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to be coached by Derek Jones was big on him. Um, and just the overall, you know, vibe from the coaching staff really convinced him. And, and as well as seeing, you know, 15 other guys in the boat with him, knowing who he's going to be playing with was, was huge. Um, he's a great caliber player. Um, he deserves to be ranked. Uh, very high up. I think he's a top 20 prospect right now in Virginia. I would not be surprised to see him pushing 10. Uh, he's that type of player. He's a lockdown corner. Um, and I think, you know, he's a really good fit for this Virginia Tech defense. He's not just, you know, your your typical cover corner, going to blanket the wide receiver. He has a little bit of physicality in his game as well. He's taller um, and he'll physically mature as well in the weight room. So all around, really great fit. Um, heck of a competitor and uh, you know i think he he makes this class a lot better ron what did you i know you looked at a little bit of the tape what else are you seeing from that yeah and and matey said the big thing that stands out from a cornerback perspective is the physicality um he plays physical he, he doesn't mind getting in there and hitting um you see you see a lot of highlights of him getting getting interceptions but you also see a lot of highlights of him you know making plays in the running game out there on screens knocking the ball loose, um, you know, forcing some fumbles. So he, he's not afraid to to bring the lick when he needs to, um, which you like to see with the corner, especially guys that, you know, potentially can can play on that boundary side and need to be, uh, you know, balanced with the with the shutdown capabilities, but also against the run. So, um, you know, we'll see if he develops into that type of cornerback, but I feel like a really, really good pickup by the Hokies here. Yes, sir. So, you know, big pickup. RVA kid, the fifth, and again, Fontel Mines doing a great job. I, I think that that Matei might be talking about him a little bit later. But before we get into more recruiting questions, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners tonight. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, everybody fired up. Let's go. Here we'll we take, go. We knew that April to July was going to be a really important time for this class. And that said, did you think that there would be 
let me just count it here. 17 kids committed before they got to camp? I did not. Okay. And to be honest with you, you know, a lot of these commitments were pretty straightforward. The narrative was set, you know, getting guys, especially around July 4th weekend in a row, that was all planned. Um, you know, the communication has been great, but to get the actual results and all these guys in the boat, uh, not just silently committed guys. I mean, how many times have we been talking about that, you know, in previous years? Um, you the know, silent, silent. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, you know, I would be assuring people, hey, look, I know it says six commits, but there's really 10. This is, you know, this is legitimate. So um, I think Cam Fleming, uh, you know, we were just kind of talking about him, but um, Minnesota was a huge player and didn't know if he would end up coming to Virginia Tech. Christian Williams was another guy that, um, you know, things really started to heat up in the past few months. Um, and, and to get him in early was a huge priority. And then a guy like Thomas Williams, who I personally thought was going to South Carolina, Shane Beamer, um, Torian Gray, uh, you know, those were, you know, big advantages for the Gamecocks. And, and yet he says, you know what? I think I'm going to leave the in-state program and go to Virginia Tech. That was a big one. So, yeah, you know, I could I could go up and down the list, but um, at least of recent memory, those are three guys that I was not expecting to be in the boat right now. So to have 17 right now, and again, I would have to cross-reference with previous classes, but, you know, to get that amount of people in, uh, huge. And, and not only that, but now you're at the point where you have the foundation and more. You have the guys that know who they're going to be playing with. They've established relationships with their positional coaches. And, um, you know, all in all, all the guys are very excited. And, you know, it's still early in the cycle. And I think, you know, there's often hesitancy to get a lot of these guys because maybe they'll be poached later on. But right now it seems like everyone is super solid. Uh, everyone really wants to be a Hokie, and I think that's the big difference right now. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of enthusiasm from a lot of these um, these recruits. I know uh, Dante Lovett's been really heavy on Twitter with uh, recruiting and and talking to other players in this class, so that's been big, I think. Um, you know, we, we had talked back in March um, that you said this staff was really putting an emphasis on Virginia and that you thought that, you know, they wanted to have a Virginia kid out the gate with this class. And, you know, we didn't end up getting that, but we do have nine Virginia kids in the boat at this point. <laughs> uh, which of these nine do you think could have the most impact early on in their career? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, recency bias, I think Christian Williams is a guy that I know – we at 24-7 have him the highest rated of the Virginia prospects. Uh, the composite has him, I think, slightly lower than Fleming. Um, but he just, I mean, he could play on both sides of the ball. Um, to be quite honest with you, I think he's been recruited as a wide receiver. And I think he can make a heck of a wide receiver. But, um, I mean, there are people saying that this guy has pro potential as a safety, if he can really grow into his body at 6'3" and well over 200 pounds, really physical guy. Um, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's going to get in the weight room. 
He's going to be in a collegiate program where he can bulk up a little bit. And I think it's going to be undeniable uh, to move him to the secondary, kind of like Divine Diablo. Um, yep. he, he reminds me a lot of him. And I think, uh, you know, having those wide receiver skill set and the mentality um, while moving over, if he does end up moving over, that is, um, could really benefit him. And I think, you know, he has all the tools. And I think this is the perfect type of staff to kind of really develop him. Um, so I, I definitely think he's someone that is going to jump in the fold early. Uh, I can see him playing as soon as next year. Um, and then, you know, maybe a guy like Tavorian Copeland. Uh, he's a bit lanky right now. He's a bit undersized. Uh, he's very long, 6'4", 190. Um, but he's someone that I think, you know, again, same type of thing. If you if you give him the right nutrition, if you give him, you know, all the benefits of being in the collegiate program, he's someone that can, you know, do a lot of things right. He can cover. He can rush. Um, you know, most likely going to be kind of like a outside linebacker. But, uh, you know, they want him in kind of that Tremaine Edmonds mold. Uh, and I think he could fit that. A lot of people didn't see Tremaine Edmonds playing early on. Um, and, and all of a sudden he became a monster and, yeah. and not just saying his, his freshman year, but as time went on, you know, he really, really became a monster. And, you know, I think Tavorian Copeland has shades of that. I'm not saying he's, you know, Tremaine Edmonds version two, but, um, I think there are a lot of similarities. So those are two guys right now that I'm looking at and I can see them finding a way, uh, to contribute early, if not have sizable roles. Yep. You mentioned Copeland and you mentioned Williams and 247 is significantly higher on both of those guys than the rest. They have William, you guys have Williams at 14, where Composite has him at 28. Copeland is at 30 composite. You guys have him at 19. So you guys are definitely significantly higher on both of those guys. And again, we we do feel like you guys are the best out there. And you mentioned both of those. Williams is here in the RVA. Copeland is down in Appomattox County in the central part, sort of the rural part of the state. You got the kid up from Battlefield. So now I have to ask you this. When are you anticipating the first 757 commitment coming? And do you think that has been the toughest area of the rebuild for this staff so far? 1,000%. I think it's been way harder than it should be. Um, I I don't know if I can give you, you know, a timeline in terms of when I expect that to happen, but it's been interesting. And I'll say this too, that the 757 has been going through so many different types of like cultural changes in terms of colleges coming in, building relationships, you know, whether it's the Penn States, the Michigans, Florida States coming in there, you know, it seems like everyone has had their turn and Virginia Tech has been on the outside looking in. And especially for this cycle, those relationships were built years ago. So a lot of the top talent for this cycle has already been predetermined, has already said, you know what, we like this team. We like Penn State. We like Florida State. Um, and I think right now when you look at the 757, it's not as deep as other years uh, for the cycle. Uh, the, you know, there is some top end talent there, but um, overall, I would say that, you know, it, maybe it's later in the cycle. Maybe there's a spot that opens up. Um, maybe there's, you know, someone that they look at and say, you know what, he's been playing really well this year. We didn't see it coming. Uh, he's someone we would like to have. But as of right now, 
you know, I don't have a name in mind for some the guy that could be the first. Okay. Um, but I think we'll start to see those dividends paid off, you know, next year, the year after. I think there's going to be a lot more. I mean, Virginia Tech can't just rely off Richmond, right? So yep. there's going to be a time where you need the 7-5, and uh, that will happen. I just think, you know, especially this cycle, those relationships were already built. Those players already knew where they were going to go. And Virginia Tech isn't just going to grab someone to say, you know what, we fulfilled our promise to this region. Uh, we're building that relationship. I think they're going to, you know, continue to evaluate. And if there's someone there, they'll definitely try. But, you know, as of right now, I think we're seeing they're building those relationships in much easier places right now. Yeah, looking at the talent this year, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, with the 7-5, a lot of the recruits for this cycle are either kind of in that upper part of the top 10 in the, in the state rankings or kind of 25 ish or lower. There's not a lot of that kind of meat potatoes of the class type players, right. This cycle, uh, which probably is, is what's hurting us most in that area as we try to rebuild those, those relationships. Uh, because, you know, we, we did burn some bridges down there and, um, I think more so than any other area in the state, um, they took it personal. And, 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 and in a lot of cases they should have. Um, so, you know, definitely justified. So we, we definitely got to get back um, with that, with that relationship. And I think we've done a good job so far, but that was one area where it wasn't going to be repaired overnight. Um, it, it wasn't no. a you know, show up, show out. And all of a sudden all is, all is well, all is forgotten. Um, seven, five, seven definitely makes you earn it. And, and I think we're at that point. Uh but I, but I think we're doing a good job of, of getting back there, but I don't think the results are going to necessarily show up this cycle. We, we, you know, we're probably at least waiting for 2024 before we start seeing some real headwind there. Well, they definitely make you earn it. And then like with the RVA, the top dog is Lauren Johnson. Lauren Johnson's a tech alum. Lauren Johnson played under Brent Pry. Two of his teammates are on the coaching staff now. That's a lot easier to get in the inroads than down in the 7-5 where – Right now, there is no notable Hokie alumni coaching down there. So, you know, that, that the, the closest relationship is Chris Scott, whose son was a walk on exactly for, you know, a couple of years at, at Virginia Tech. Exactly. So, yeah, um, that's probably the strongest established relationship. And then, obviously, you know, there was out the gate a little miscommunication, um, with uh. With the, with the Smith set down there, so th that I think that probably slowed that down just a little bit as well. So, you know, we'll see how it moves forward. But let's move on to this. Um, you know, in terms of the Virginia top fifteen players, there's still four um, that don't have any solid commitments out there uh, at this point. Kavion uh, Keys, uh, Hellcat Mellow Taylor, Jordan Bass, and Elijah Hughes. Um, a couple of those guys look like they're going to be uh, committing soon. How do you feel the Hokies sit with them as we head into the beginning of fall camp? I think uh, Kavion Keys was a guy that in the beginning of the cycle seemed very receptive to a new staff, listening to Brent Pry, listening to um, you know a lot of the guys on the coaching staff. But I think as time has gone on and his status has kind of elevated – in terms of programs pursuing him, um, he seems like someone that, you know, 
I th- I believe his his finalists are like Florida, Virginia, um, Penn State is in there, um, and you know I would I would be shocked if he didn't pick Florida or Penn State at this point. I think yeah. you know Virginia's really 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 fighting uh, to stay in it with him, but at this point I think he's Florida bound. Um, I think you know they had a shot, and you know not every commit or sorry, <laughs> not every prospect is gonna you know, um, see the vision and say, you know what, that's, that's where I want to be. Um, he's someone that desperately wants to play early, uh, you know, wants to be, you know, kind of that feature linebacker and, you know, that may not be the best fit at Virginia tech. Would Virginia tech love to have him a thousand percent, but, um, sometimes, you know, things don't always, you know, you don't always see eye to eye. Um, and I think that was kind of the case there where, uh, he was feeling out Virginia Tech, but ultimately kind of cooled. Um, Taylor is interesting too. Um, you know, Virginia Tech was in there. He's another guy, speedster, um, but it, it looks like he's going to go to South Carolina. We have uh, really good colleagues over there, and they have a ton of great intel. He seems to be talking to talking up a storm with them all the time. Um, so I think you know that's that's one where. Okay, you know Thomas Williams went Virginia Tech's way. Um, Mello Taylor's seems to be going um, South Carolina's way. Jordan Bass is interesting. Um, right now, I think it's Pitt favored. Um, you know, I would say a couple weeks ago, I would say it was fifty-fifty. Right now, I think it's about sixty-forty in terms of Pittsburgh. Um, I'm not saying it's a done deal. Um, I, I still think there's there's an opportunity there. Um, but it does seem at this moment that he's favoring Pitt just from everything I've gathered. Uh, and then Elijah Hughes, he's probably the most likely of these names to end up committing to Virginia Tech. And even then, it's still a battle. Um, he's going to be on campus this weekend, I believe, okay. um, which is huge. And, um, you know, he his other stiff competition right now is from Stanford. Uh, you know, very bright kid. Um, Stanford is kind of that dream offer for him. Um, I think we might've said the same thing about Dax Hollyfield back in the day. Yep. Uh, you know, when he got that Stanford offer and, you know, how to check him out, uh, it's tough to turn them down. And I think he's going through that same battle right now. I'm sure he'll have Dax right next to him, uh, or eating at his table this weekend telling him, you know what? I had Stanford too, but Virginia <laughs> tech was a place to be. So um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm more favorable on Elijah Hughes here. Okay. Um, but I think the other three are, you know, with the exception of Bass, I think they're, you know, Keys and Taylor are heading uh, out of state and then Bass, Pittsburgh or Virginia Tech uh, for right now. So let's ask this, I'll kind of piggybacking on this a little bit. Um, you know, when we look at, some of the defensive line um, prospects that we've been approaching, we haven't had a whole lot of hits this cycle. Um, Is that getting discouraging on your part or or do you think this is more just part of a growing uh, process with this new staff as we kind of get some of these uh, relationships reestablished? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, some of the frustrations have been concentrated at that position um, you know, 
trying to get those guys in. And hey, you're not going to win every battle, but it is tough when you're facing an uphill battle that every prospect that's on your board is, you know, highly sought it after. I, I think that highly sought after. I think that's a, a testament to the guys that are recruiting. Uh, but you have to start to win those battles. And again, we're you know we can we can talk in circles here and say you know they have to build those relationships. But that's kind of what's going on right now. And I think um, you know they're doing a good job of pitching. But there are other schools too with you know multiple years of experience talking to the same guys, and uh, those relationships are well defined. And uh, sometimes it's it's not just good enough to say okay we're the in-state program. Um, especially with a guy like Bass, you know, uh, but we'll see. I still think there's a chance there. Um, cautiously optimistic, I think, is is the right way to put it. Uh, so we'll see. Let me, let me ask about the Bass thing because he's already took his official hit. How big is it that he hasn't taken the official yet to Tech? Is that one of those things where if they feel like they're losing, they try to push an official to, like BC, night game, Early in the season, the place is going to be unbelievably electric. Is that potentially like what they're waiting on to say, we want you an official for a game? We don't want you to official in the middle of summer, official on a game weekend where obviously the goal should be wherever Pitt's playing, put up that scene and then let him walk in that stadium and say, you want to play in front of that or you want to play in front of that? Yeah, that would definitely help. I think the thing with him right now, Okay. Um, is he's st- he's still contemplating? Um, I'll have to double check, but I believe he wanted to make a decision in September. Um, I don't know if he put out anything official yet, um, but I think Pittsburgh is trying to get him get the uh, idea that hey, come commit. You can focus on your season. You can be with us. Your spot secure here. Um, where I think Virginia Tech still needs a little bit of time to work on him, and they're saying, look, September's fine. Like you can, you can play your season. You can come to a couple games, check out what we have. We have 17 guys in here that would love to meet you. Um, so, you know, he's in contact with some of them. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of a push and pull right now. Uh, and that's the big thing in his recruitment right now. All right. Let me ask this based on your interactions, based on conversations you've had, not only, you know, with, with players, but with other colleagues, which coach new to this staff has jumped out to you and other people the most on the trail? I would definitely say Fontel Mines, just because, I mean, obviously it's it's easy to point at him and say, look at, you know, what he's done with uh, Richmond, especially as of late. Um, but he's someone that I think, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, he was the last name added to the staff. Um, yep. You know, he was, he was a guy that um, – you know, maybe they won't say it publicly, but, you know, wasn't first considered, you know, had to kind of get his shot. And I think that's kind of defined him, you know, that underdog mentality, um, you know, not necessarily being the best at what he did when he was a player, um, but making it work at every stop he's been at, you know, relentless worker. He's a guy that builds relationships super easily. And I think he's just a, you know, we knew he was going to be a good recruiter, but to get the early dividends and then build out from there, I think that's what's been so impressive that, you know, I think we'll see a lot more Richmond in future years and just what he's done so far. 
uh, as a recruiter has been, you know, exceptional to this class, you know, his contributions, he's, you know, I, I would have to check the, the recruiter ratings, but he's definitely number one right now for Virginia Tech in terms of, you know, the guys that he was assigned to, um, the guys he's, you know, taken under his wing and said, we want you here. Uh, he has the highest hit rate and, you know, he has, you know, the most success right now. So, He's, he's definitely standing out to me. Um, I knew he was going to be energetic and all that, but you never know how that's going to pay off, and it certainly has so far. Yeah, and we knew he had the relationships. We just didn't know how quickly that would scale up, right? Right. Make, making the jump to Power 5 and recruiting at that level, and it's obviously translated pretty quickly, um, so it's good to see that. Um yeah, I think you know, as you said, he's done well whether he's primary or secondary on on, on a lot of the guys he was working with. So um, the, the hit rate is pretty impressive, uh, and hopefully we'll see you know some more dividends pay off as we continue through this class. Let's uh, let's let's take it in this direction now, though, um, in terms of just big picture. Uh, the Hokies are currently sitting. 35 in the composite rankings, uh, 32 according to the 24-7 ranking. Is this ahead of kind of where you thought this class was going to be at this point, uh, or are you surprised with with where uh, the Hokies are? I'll definitely say I'm surprised. I think, uh, you know, when we first spoke, I was expecting them to kind of move up. I think it's difficult to kind of take this class and compare it to previous ones just because with NIL, like you have Louisville that's skyrocketing up the recruiting rankings, Texas Tech, uh, you know, a lot of these universities uh, with big time donors or opportunities are convincing guys to go to their schools and it's kind of messing up the flow. You're still going to have your top dogs. You're still going to have those schools that you see, uh, you know, in the top 25 that kind of lock down a spot. But to have Virginia Tech right on the cusp, pushing it, um, and, and not to mention that, you know, I do think there are some players in this class that once the season rolls around will be reevaluated, bumped up, could potentially, you know, further put them up the rankings. Uh, I think it's been impressive so far. Uh, has been, you know, a high volume of commitments, but I, I think they've gotten a lot of quality and some other guys that could bump up. Um, but to see them at 35, you know, that's where – I was expecting them to end the year. They're going to have to put in some work to round out the rest of the class and, uh, you know, throughout the season to hold on to these guys. But um, I think for a first year head coach to have a top 25 or sorry, top 35 class is a success, a major success. I thought they were going to be in the top 50 somewhere uh, heading into September. And, you know, they're already, you know, blazing by that. So, yeah, definitely surprised me. That's it's a happy, it's a very happy surprise for most of the Hokie fans out here that from the end of the last cycle where they held on to a good recruiting class, roughly about the same spot. That's where they are, <clears throat> roughly halfway through this cycle. And you know, we we look around and we see the nine from Virginia. But the other thing that's kind of been impressive, and it's it's been Brent Pry's statement: footprint, footprint, footprint. You have a recruit from Georgia, recruit from Indiana. There's your outer reaches of the six hours, Maryland, North, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. Literally, they have hit every state in the footprint. Every state in the footprint. 
Now, I'll ask this. You know, you can see the commits there. Where do you think we're going to have the most success to close out this cycle? What state do you think they're going to get in and pop off? Maybe someone that's a little under the radar or maybe someone who sees an opportunity next year to say, you know, a high three-star to say, hey, I could probably start next year with this staff. Yeah, I think uh, I think we. I, I was expecting a little bit more out of Maryland uh, with the Tyler Bowen uh, connections there. Um, but I think Maryland and North Carolina are the two states to watch. Um, in terms of specific names, I don't have many, but I will say that, you know, they have been put, you know, putting a, a lot of their efforts in North Carolina recently, uh, kind of looking around there. So uh, have a lot of feedback of, of new offers coming out like pretty much every day about North Carolina kids. So um, I'm expecting something to happen there. I think there's, you know, there's um, there's a reason behind that. I, and that's for the cycle as well. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping my eye on North Carolina. All right. Now I'm immediately going to the 247 North Carolina offer page for Virginia Tech. And <laughs> players. While we're at that, I know. Uh, so let, let, let's ask about Tennessee real quick, because we saw Chris Parson uh, decommit from Florida State. And, you know, I think out the gate we thought, OK, well, this you know, there's probably already a landing spot in, in, in play, but oh. we haven't seen any movement there. We've seen a few tweets uh, come from him, you know, Virginia Tech related. He did get the the, the reoffer right there um, after the decommitment or just before the decommitment, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, what's the story on uh, on him at this point? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely a ton of interest. I think Virginia Tech is monitoring, but I think, uh, you know, there are some prospects that, you know, know they can get a lot of attention and, and, and I think they kind of use that to their advantage. So uh, I don't think there's anything that is quite materialized there that I know of at least. Okay. Um, but definitely, you know, I, I think, you know, Virginia Tech would love to have him. I mean, he's, he's a stud, right? So yeah. We'll see, but um, you know, as of right now, I don't think there's there's anything uh, really too solid there. Gotcha. Still, probably a, a, a Mississippi State lean then. Yeah. Oh god, good deal. SEC. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? <clears throat> All right, so I'll I'll pivot it this way. Let's let's talk about uh, class sizes real quick. Um, the NCAA isn't capping the, the recruiting size for the class for the next two years. Um, do you see the Hokies taking over 25 scholarship players the next couple cycles as they try to rebuild this roster? Yes. The the simple answer is yes. And I think, you know, we talked about that openness at the beginning of the show, uh, the, the outward facing openness about the weaknesses. That is evident within you know, those roster conversations, uh, you know, there are some guys on the roster that are pushing for spots and, you know, they will be given ample opportunities, but at the same time, in order to build, if you have the ability to take more and, and to, you know, prize a guy that can handle those conversations and say, you know, we've, we've loved what you've given us, but maybe we're not for you. Um, 
you know, he's definitely going to try to take as much as possible. And I think, you know, to that point, I think that's why I'm a little surprised to see 17 so quickly because we're going to start to, you know, we're already approaching 20 pretty soon. It's going to, you know, start creeping towards that 25 and then, you know, adding a couple names at the end of the cycle. There's always stuff that happens always, you know, a cut. We saw it last cycle, you know, four guys from Virginia that chose the Hokies in the last two weeks. So there's always opportunities there. And, uh, you know, I think the coaching staff realizes they need to get a lot of talent in there and they want to get some of their guys. And the best way to do it is obviously through the recruiting rankings, building those relationships, bringing them in, developing, uh, but transfer portal works as well. So they're going to bring an influx of talent uh, for for the next two years, I I can only imagine, and, and really reshape this and expedite that process. That sounds exactly like our thought was because there's going to be so many guys in the next two seasons because of COVID that are gone that you're going to push your guys in. To your point, you want your guys in as you do this rebuilding process. And so why not load up and get close to 30, maybe even over that number. But let me pivot to this next. 2023, it was something that excited the fan base in some ways. In some ways, it pissed people off with the loss of Miami as the common opponent every year. But how do you think a divisionless ACC is going to – or do you think a divisionless ACC is going to have a positive impact on recruiting for the Hokies? And when I say that, my thought is we lost Miami. That sucks. But we're going to play Florida State, Clemson, or Miami every year. Every year. And there's going to be years we play both. So how big is that that you get where we feel we are, you know, one of the top brands in the ACC playing the other top brands? And how is that going to affect recruiting? I definitely think it's important. You know, I think when they did the structure, it was definitely, you know, for the fans to kind of to get the opportunities to see some of the schools that, um, you know, they haven't really been able to see at home or away. Um, But for recruits too, being able to play against Clemson, being able to play against Florida State, you know, we'll see where all this uh, realignment stuff goes. But, you know, there's if you're playing the top people, I mean, you're probably not pitching about playing Boston College or, uh, you know, your Dukes. But um, to play some of the better competition uh, in the league and be able to showcase, you know, hey, we're Virginia Tech. This is what we are in the ACC. You know, there's a way to sell that. And I think you know, that's very important. And I think that that'll make a lot of recruits excited. I mean, I was down there when uh, Virginia Tech was playing Florida State and that atmosphere was great, you know, and I haven't really gotten a similar vibe from a lot of the ACC schools that I went to. Um, So being able to be in those marquee type games, I think is super important. And I think every recruit just wants to see that, you know, we were the team that brought down this Florida State. We were the team that beat Clemson at, you know, their house. You know, even if those things don't happen, you know, that's the recruiting tagline right there. Yeah. And and to speak to another point, Clemson aside, uh, there's not a lot of, you know, upper third ACC teams that have, that have good game day atmospheres, right? I mean, you know, UNC has been recruiting well, but they don't have a great game day atmosphere. Pitt has zero atmosphere. No, no. <laughs> Wake, not, not a great atmosphere. I mean – all, all these schools that have had some success of, of late, I mean, probably NC State is probably, you know, above yeah. average 
and, and I mean, and, and they're finally going to have a, I think, put together a good year and be kind of in that, you know, top two or three in the conference this year. But, you know, Clemson's real and, and really the only team that's been consistently at the top of the league that does have that game day atmosphere that gets you excited for those road games. So it, it'll be nice to have some more consistency with that. Getting to play Florida State more often, uh, even Louisville has a, a better atmosphere. Louisville is nice than, yeah. than yeah. most of these other schools that we've just mentioned. So it'll it'll be nice having some more consistency there. Um, the other so, piece about the recruiting footprint. Hold on, one thing, Brian. I know you're gonna what yep. you're gonna throw to next, but a lot of people were pissed about Wake Forest. A lot of people are pissed about that. I actually like it because one reason why, and you can attest to this from being at 247 for a few years, that area of the triad in the general state of North Carolina has been really good to Virginia Tech in the past couple decades. So, yes, we're mad. We don't get Miami anymore. It, it, It sucks because we play them roughly for almost 30 years consecutively. But now you're going to get a game in your backyard where you can tell, think about it, Trey Turner, Hendon Hooker, Hey guys, we're we're playing just down the road every other year. So your family can not only come to all the games in Blacksburg, but they're gonna have one right at the back door. And I, I like that they kept us at least one North Carolina team on there. You know, maybe we can add some teams in realignment and we can get it to four and they can add Miami. <laughs> <laughs> well, hell. Curtis, 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 you you pitching. Oh, uh, you went out, Brian. Brian, you went out. <laughs> we lost you, man. Nothing. All right. Well, hang on. You we good? We're doing it live here. All right. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Let's. Uh... You went on a good rant too. It looked so like it was so good. So. No, I was saying you 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 pitched it perfectly to me. Then my mic fucked me up. <laughs> Speaking of uh, realignment, <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, there we go. We, we pulled it off. I brought it back. Uh, so the big topic of the sports conference realignment. Uh, it, it was the talk of ACC media days. It's been the talk of big the Big Ten media days. Um, what scenarios do you see as the most important as the Hokies try to keep themselves in the so called tier one? of college football. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is like so fascinating. I feel like I go down the wormhole every single day, like looking into conspiracy theories and, you know, how to get out of, you know, contracts and whatnot. But I think that's a big thing with the ACC right now. They're kind of lame ducks right now. Uh, You know, they, they have the grant of rights and uh, I feel, I, I think everyone's waiting uh, for someone to kind of push back on that, see if they can get away with it. And if one domino falls, the rest will. And I think, um, you know, as Virginia Tech goes, it's it's tough to see where they would go because I get it. A lot of fans, I, I would say the majority of fans would want to see, you know, if it were a, a possibility, Virginia Tech and the SEC. But I think there was a time period that, you know, the schedule was carefully crafted that there's a reason there is a Wisconsin, a Michigan, a Penn State, a Rutgers, uh, you name it. Big Ten schools coming to Blacksburg, Virginia Tech going to Big Ten schools. 
creating these kind of mini series. I think, you know, the plan for Virginia Tech was um, to to get to the Big Ten level eventually, you know, way before all this conference realignment stuff. Um, and I still, you know, that's that's where I see Virginia Tech long term, kind of in that category, maybe not in the SEC tier one or tier two Big Ten or 1A, 1B, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, someone, if it's a Clemson, a Florida State, is, is, may try something. I think things are settling down right now uh, just with lack of movement. I think the teams that were going to leave left, and now everyone else is kind of like waiting to see what the next move is. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm super fascinated to see what happens. But, uh, you know, if the top dogs that we mentioned leave the ACC – I don't. I think Virginia Tech will have um, some ways to to figure it out, and you know I think there'll be a, a commodity that could be in either conference. To be quite honest, you know they're not a, a program that's going to you know be at the top of either list, but you know they're going to bring a, a reliable and steady uh, presence, and I think that's very important. And I think you know the Big Ten, especially, they seem like the ones that are are looking to add a bit more. Mm-hmm. So. Um. Yeah, we'll see what happens, but well, yeah, I I think the Big Ten is kind of where I'm leaning right now. Yeah, the big piece with the grant of rights is, and the way that they can get out of the easiest is if eight teams vote to dissolve it. And you sit here, and are there eight teams in the ACC that could get offers from the Big Ten and or the SEC? And you sit here, and you you know, Clemson, yeah. You they I don't think the SEC would blink at Clemson. I don't think they'd blink at Florida State. I think Florida would raise hell about Miami. They would not play them in the 90s. Spurrier would not play them. He was a chicken, is what you can say. He was a chicken in the 90s because he wouldn't did not want his gators to go down to the Orange Bowl. Um and then you get and it's like Virginia Tech, like you said. Not the biggest, but steady fan base, big markets in D.C., good markets all over the state of Virginia, um, which neither SEC or Big Ten have. Uh, big presence in Western Carolina as well. Big, yeah, yeah, Southern yeah, Carolina, you got a part down there. Are there but are there five, four more teams? What, do you want Duke football? Because this is about football. This is not about yeah. basketball. And when you look at the value of Duke basketball, there are some mediocre football programs that outdo Duke basketball. So Duke basketball's value is is okay. It's high for what it is. It's just it, it doesn't compete with football. Right. It ain't football. So if if there's enough teams here or there, you know, speaking of that, you, you you obviously you've said it. You were watching ACC Media Days. Um, do you think is there? Do you think ten years from now, fifteen years from now, ACC still a tier one conference? I don't think so. I think it's it's been pretty clear recently uh, that right. I I mean, they're either three or four, but you know, with how you know, TV revenue is being spread with with how much interest there is. And, you know, even these, again, conspiracies, will Virginia Tech leave? Not will someone join the ACC? Will we get someone else, you know? Yeah. I, I think that kind of speaks to, to the state of the ACC right now. 
and and not only that, but but just to see, um, you know, the conference saying, you know, we will be strong together. Everyone's staying. Uh, you know, it's kind of like holding, grasping on, uh, you know, and and so, yeah, I think I think the ACC is is number three right now, just because the Pac-12, you can get some of those guys out of there, and you can kind of move it around and and kind of you know absorb some of those teams that are in there if you know they continue uh, to do some more realignment. Um, and the Big 12 lost their top dogs. Exactly. So, so you're right. There's three right now. Um, so a I, distant I, third. Distant, uh, very <laughs> yeah. Distant. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think what we see is we don't see. And Brian's about to pitch this. We do not see a sense of urgency because I think us as Virginia Tech fans and ACC fans, I would be calling Oregon and Washington and Utah and Stanford and saying. Listen, you guys add a lot of value to our conference. Probably an extra, what, 15, maybe 20 million a year per school because of the markets they're in. And you're not seeing that. Or we don't feel like we're seeing that. Because could there be backroom deals happening? Absolutely. Well, well we I mean, the last the last couple of times something has happened, it came out of nowhere. It so come out of nowhere. It's true. The discussions are definitely happening. Just are they happening with enough urgency right. and pushing us in a direction where the ACC has, has a life is the question. You know, we know discussions are happening. Um, the question is, is it the right type of discussions? And, you know, we watched Jim Phillips press conference and that did not, oh. you know, re regardless of what's being said behind the doors, um, what was said out in public did not inspire confidence in people that are hoping that the ACC is in it for the long haul. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. It just feels like I, I do think those conversations are happening. And I think if there is someone to, to lead Virginia tech in the right direction, it is Whit Babcock. And I think he's very aware of what's going on right now, but the good, there's good and bad news. The, the, the bad news is that, Virginia Tech is is kind of, you know, like we mentioned, a couple steps down from those guys that are are really moving the needle. Yep. But the good news that comes with that is that, you know, they don't have to make the first move. Virginia Tech doesn't have to go out there and say, you know what, we're the first to leave the ACC. We're going to deal with the repercussions. They can kind of follow suit and they will, you know, be a suitor no matter what, like, just looking at, you know, the rest of, you know, everything else outside the Big Ten and the SEC currently. And, um, you know, Virginia Tech is up there in that tier one of next schools that you would love to have in your conference. So, you know, it's not the best position to be in being in the ACC, but it's certainly not the worst. And, um, you know, I have confidence that this will all be sorted out. And, you know, I don't think as much as we've seen an acceleration on this recently, you know, I think it, it, it will slow down a little bit. Um, but certainly these conversations will be happening every single year. I mean, I don't see the ACC, you know, for another 10, 15 years being what it is now. I think there's going to be a lot of changes and, you know, I'm somewhat excited to see them, but also somewhat a little nervous about them. So we'll see. Let me ask you this because th this has been my concern. I'm I'm not as concerned if like two weeks from now everything starts to blow up. 
because I feel like we would be somewhat high on that pecking order. We're not going to be first tier. We might be at the bottom, bottom to middle of the second tier of those programs that would get picked up. I think if, if you're saying realignment is going to result with, you know, between 40 and 48 teams, I think we're kind of right on that, that cusp of, of making the cut. Um, but my concern is that with the Pac-12 being extremely vulnerable and the Big 12 having been in almost a state of constant flux for the last decade, does the Big 10 and the SEC start scooping up these other Big 10, Big 12 and, and Pac-12 uh, teams and then all of a sudden – you know, they're holding pat on their expansion for a while once it's the ACC's turn and whether it's grant of rights that the, is that firewall or these or any other reason, does the ACC kind of look like the leftovers and they only end up getting, you know, the big boys and kind of leaving the those second tier programs in the dust? That, that's my concern, depending on, you know, where they go numbers wise and, and what markets they scoop up. And whether those markets are in terms of comparable uh, with with what the Virginia markets and the North Carolina markets can offer. I think that's the worry piece. I think the but I also think I don't think the Big Ten, and I'm gonna just start going through the schools. And I, I thought about talking about this after, but I'll do it right here. I don't think the Big Ten or the SEC are gonna go after Kansas or Kansas State or Arizona or Cal or Oregon State or Wazoo. I don't think they're going to go after Iowa State. There are so many teams that they're, they're, they don't have a brand or they don't have a branded football per se, and they don't have a gigantic market. And, and why I say you can say, well, what about Baylor? What about Oklahoma State? They're really good. The state of Oklahoma is locked. The state of Oklahoma is locked with Oklahoma going to the SEC. Oklahoma State is probably about where we are, maybe a little bit lower. So that's what you have to start doing. You have to start saying who's above you, who's below you. And I think what goes even more important, this is kind of the last question as we wrap it up here, how important is to stay a Tier 1 program? for Virginia Tech's ability to recruit talent from anywhere? I think it it, it definitely is important, um, but in the sense of, of recruiting and, and making things work, I, you know, at least for the time being, like these aren't super big conversations right now in terms of what recruits are being told. Like realignment is often not coming up. Um, and if it does come up, you know, it's the promise of Virginia Tech will be fine and will, you know, be playing stiff competition week in and week out. I don't expect a scenario where, you know, it's Appalachian State, Duke, um, you know, Boston College as the leftovers, right? Uh, Virginia Tech will figure it out. But, you know, to that point, I think um, being in the conversations with those big teams uh, is definitely important. And, um, you know, they want to recruit guys that want to represent Virginia first and foremost, but when they're getting other guys out of state, you know, they want them 
to also be in that big game atmosphere. So um, I think it's important to be a tier one, but I think, you know, it, it's the recruiting world. They'll make it work no matter what. Um, definitely don't envision a scenario where, uh, you know, the recruiting pitch is anything about being a tier two school, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Did the comments uh, from, I know Kevin Warren was talking a lot about the, uh, you know, we're pushing forward, we're adapting, we're moving. I feel like that in contrast with what Jim Phillips was saying kind of stood out to me, um, which has me a little concerned about, will there be more continued fleecing of the PAC 12 or does the big 10 already have their sights set on an ACC school? Yeah. I mean, one school we kind of left out on this, which personally I think is kind of the bottleneck uh, is Notre Dame. What happens with Notre Dame? Are they going to join the Big Ten? Are they going to go to the SEC? You know, I think once they, if they decide, you know, we no longer want to be an independent and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, let's just, you know, say that they go to the Big Ten. Does the SEC then say, okay, we want to grab a couple more schools to bolster our network? I think that's where it really gets started. Um, And that's going to be the position where, okay, how do you get out of this grant of rights? How do you possibly yeah. leave this conference and become a free agent? You know, it's like the transfer portal just for for, for college institutions. But the deals that that you're hearing that the Irish are going to get, because they're about to go re-up in the TV negotiations, if they keep the agreement with the ACC, which is going to be about 12 to 15 million a year, I mean, they're talking about them getting 75 to $90 million. They're going yeah. to be in the SEC and Big Ten tier. So they could look at them and say, who cares? CBS is going to give us $80 million. We're going to keep our partnership with the ACC. We're going to be where you guys are. Plus, we're Notre Dame. Plus, our sales of online merchandise is going to be higher than just about anyone in the country. So that $5 million gap, we can make up. Maybe they, maybe this is the best thing that ever happened to Notre Dame staying independent is these outrageous TV contracts where they might, Maybe I'm dumb to say this. They might get a 10-year billion-dollar deal just for them. And I don't think any of us would be surprised. Yeah, that's that's my thing. And, and like Matei said, I think that that's the domino waiting to fall. What does Notre Dame do? I think a lot of, especially ACC schools, I think are trying to see if they can somehow lure Notre Dame into the ACC. I feel like that's the ACC's last best card to play is somehow convincing Notre Dame to join the ACC. I do not see it happening, but I feel like that's the that's the hope that a lot of diehard ACC fans are holding on to. Because if you can get Notre Dame, that will not only help your own media de- deal, but it'll you know give you some additional markets to play with uh, on the football side. There, there's just so much that um, getting them, even just on a prestige side uh, of the conversation that, that Notre Dame would bring to the table from a football perspective. But I just don't see it happening. I think geographically, I know that doesn't matter anymore, but Notre Dame's a better fit in the Big Ten geographically. They yeah, have historically – It doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not saying it does, but just – doesn't. A decade ago, it did. It doesn't anymore. But I think that's still, yeah. You know, for for so long, they did have a uh, you know 
rivalry games with a lot of the Big Ten schools there. Obviously, that shifted with the with the deal with the ACC. But you know, I I just I don't I don't see Notre Dame committing to the ACC mainly because the ACC's media deal pales in comparison to the Big Ten. If if they're if they're taking a chance on a conference, they're going to take one where their payout is better. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Matei, man, it's been awesome having you here. It does not feel like we've been talking for 90 minutes, guys, but we have been talking for over 90 minutes now. Um, Matei, give them where you're at, where they can catch you. Yeah, come to VT Scoop, check us out. We are rolling back in. Season's a little over a month away, uh, so tons of content coming out. Um, you can find me at Matei, M-A-T-E-J-S-247 on Twitter. Uh, last time I was on here, guys, I promised a commitment coming in the next week. Turned out that it took about two weeks after that. So okay. not no promises this time. But, <laughs> uh, we do have a Hokie Fest on Friday. Um, some guys, Elijah Hughes will be down there. A bunch of current Virginia Tech commits. We'll see if something comes out of that. Again, no promises, but uh, could be some news uh, coming up. And if you want to find out all the – the latest on that and just you know the behind the scenes kind of what's going on come to vt scoop and check it out definitely check them out on vt scoop brian anything breaking as far as other things i think we're clear man we're ready to to sign it off man all right well that wraps up this episode of the boundary corner podcast with our guest matei sis i'm curtis wilson i'm brian siegler Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long, he plays us in, he plays us out. Check him this Saturday at the Grand Village Farmers Market down in Roanoke. And he's got two events the next weekend, August 5th. He's going to be at Big Lick Brewing Big Lick Brewing Company down in Roanoke with his uh, old bandmate, Waylon Patchett. They play some damn good music if you're down there. And then he's going to be at Outer Space August 6th down in Floyd County. We thank you, as always, for listening. And let's go. Okies. Okay.